0: First, you think, is a not-for-profit ministry of the First Unitarian Church of Des Moines. Support us at ucdsm.org today. There's a scene in the 1989 movie Parenthood in which Steve Martin character's Gill's grandmother is reminiscing about her teenage experience of rides at the fair. She remembers how some people preferred the merry-go-round. They thought the roller coaster was too scary. She thought the the merry-go-round was boring, just went in a circle, but the roller coaster, that was thrilling. Gil, on the other hand, is definitely in the camp of those who find the ups and downs of the roller coaster to be too unpredictable, disorienting anxiety provoking. But life keeps handing us those ups and downs. Gil is forced to ride the roller coaster that's life when his youngest son wreaks havoc at the local children's pageant and even finds that maybe there is something to be enjoyed in the pandemonium. I've been thinking a lot over the past 16 months about the roller coaster we've all been riding since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm not sure I've found joy in it, but I certainly have been aware of the incredible emotional ups and downs, twists and turns, which have been part of our lives since March, 2020, and I've been doing my best to try to figure out how to adapt to this ride. In the first reading, psychologist Adam Grant mentions the high alert, fight or flight response so many of us had in the early days of the pandemic. We felt frightened, anxious, ready to take whatever actions we could to maintain control of our health and our lives. Everything from donning masks to wiping down every surface in our house with disinfectant wipes, at least when we could obtain them. In the summer and much of the fall of 2020, there was a sense that we were all in this together, experiencing a kind of camaraderie in the fight against COVID. I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one who cheered up watching the videos of Italians serenading from their balconies and New Yorkers cheering the hospital changes of staff from their windows. And who who took away the feeling that even in the isolation of essentially sheltering in place, I was not alone. But as we moved into the winter of 2020 and first months of 2021, something shifted again. The power of the shared fight somehow lost its potency to buoy me up in the ways it had. The novelty of connecting with friends and family via Zoom or FaceTime lost its charm. I spent my entire work week staring at my computer in endless Zoom meetings. Spending my weekend Zooming with friends was just more screen time and not much of a substitute for hugs. And somehow it just didn't feel worth the effort. I was getting through the days just fine. I was able to concentrate and get things done at work, sleeping okay but not too much, hadn't lost my appetite, none of the signs I've come to recognize when I'm experiencing a bout of depression. But that was about it, not a whole lot of joy. Watch another free stream of a Met opera? Nah. All that reading I thought I would do? Too much work. I am certain that Grant's guest essay in the New York Times went viral because it touched something in so many of us. It put a name to what we were feeling. We were languishing. Grant described languishing as the void between depression and flourishing, the absence of well being. Not quite depressed, but still feeling a sense of stagnation and emptiness. There was something validating, normalizing, and reading that description, and in the sharing through social media. A collective experience of, yes, me too, this is it. That in and of itself was so helpful. As Grant mentions, knowing we are not alone is powerful. That piece was originally published in mid-April during a time when many of us were still unsure how and when we could get ourselves vaccinated. In what feels, at least to me, an incredibly short period, vaccines had become readily available. We're back to traveling, dining in restaurants, going to movies and performances, and at least for a while, COVID case counts were steadily declining. People were gathering with family and friends in person rather than over Zoom for the first time in over a year. It seemed like we were coming out of the pandemic nightmare and returning to life as normal. Maybe. For some of us, part of our response has actually been, not so fast. It's hard to one day be masking and maintaining six feet of distance to suddenly expecting to be back to business as usual. For those of us who are introverted or anxious or have been working out of our bedroom for 16 months, we may still be struggling with how to process this emotionally with a sense of not yet being quite ourselves. And of course, there is the fact that this pandemic is actually not over. In short, we're still riding the roller coaster. In his April essay, Grant went on to talk about how once we've recognized and named languishing, we can actually take action to counter its effects. What he described as an antidote to languishing. That antidote drew on the principles of positive psychology, a research-based model, which has been defined by Christopher Peterson as the scientific study of what makes life most worth living. The concept and term were first coined by Martin Seligman, a psychologist who in the 1960s and 70s did seminal research on the concept of learned helplessness, the state in which in response to repeated and unavoidable negative experiences, living beings, including humans, essentially give up. As his research evolved, Seligman turned his attention to understanding what learned behaviors actually manifest in greater resilience and well-being, what he initially referred to as learned optimism. Those behaviors which help us move from depression or languishing to thriving and flourishing. Through their research, Seligman and other scholars of positive psychology have identified five facets of well-being that help people to thrive. Positive emotions, engagement, positive relationships, meaning and accomplishment, or PERMA. Let me break these down just a little. First is P, positive emotions. While chasing positive feelings or pretending to feel something we actually don't are not particularly helpful. Experiencing positive emotions enhances our sense of well-being. Part of experiencing positive emotions is simply being aware when they are present in our lives, noticing when we feel good. Practitioners of a psychotherapeutic approach called solution-focused therapy work with their clients to pay attention to and build on when things are going well. What in our second reading, Thich Nhat Hanh referred to as noticing what's not wrong. It's part of cultivating a spirit of mindfulness, being open to and enjoying what is happening in the moment, those small things which can help us be attuned to what is well within us. Next is E or engagement, it is being involved in activi- activities which we enjoy are good at and in which we can immerse ourselves. It is experiencing flow. Being in a state of flow requires that we focus our attention on what we are doing and give ourselves the chance to be so absorbed that we lose ourselves. Multitasking is a killer of flow. It's important that we give ourselves permission or perhaps force ourselves to turn away from distractions and truly focus on what we are doing. Having positive relationships is the next element of PERMA. Humans are hardwired to be social animals. Even those of us who are introverts need to have meaningful and caring relationships in order to thrive. Earlier this month, Adam Grant published a follow-up essay in the Times this time addressing mental health impacts of the isolation so many of us have experienced in the past year. We most fully and deeply experience what he referred to as our greatest bliss in the company of others. We laugh more with others and experience more joy when we are in a state of social connection. The M in PERMA is for meaning. Having something in our life which helps us have a sense of purpose. It is feeling a connection to something which extends beyond ourselves as individuals, something bigger than ourselves. It makes me think about our fourth principle, that the search for truth and meaning is an essential part of Unitarian Universalism. Finally, there is the element of accomplishment, or A. In order to thrive, to be living most fully, we need to have a sense of achievement. Goals are good, assuming they represent enough of a stretch to provide opportunities for growth while being attainable. Rather than grand unachievable ambitions, we are much more likely to flourish when we set and work to accomplish small achievable steps. If these five elements, experiencing positive emotions, engagement, relationships, meaning, and accomplishment, can help us to thrive, what can we do to strengthen them in our lives? Seligman's research was founded on the understanding that learned optimism or well being are tied to our behaviors, not to inherent or immutable traits. The practice and study of positive psychology actually offers some specific actions which have been demonstrated to improve people's well-being. Here are three examples. One is keeping a gratitude journal, making note of and reflecting on those things for which we feel grateful, the good things present in our lives. I'm not talking about the things we think we should be grateful for. This is about noticing those small pieces of what is going right. It might be enjoying a really good cup of coffee in the morning, your cat curled up and purring in your lap, an unexpected call from a loved one. Research has found that after just one week of daily making note of three unique things for which they're grateful, no repeating the same things every day, People report increased feelings of well-being. A second and related example is writing a gratitude letter. For whom in your life are you grateful? And what have they done which has been important in your life? Writing to them or maybe even telling them in a conversation how much and for what reasons you appreciate them helps strengthen your awareness of gratitude and connection. And it has the added benefit of knowing that you may well have contributed to their feelings of gratitude and worth. Finally, focus on building on your strengths rather than weaknesses. I'm not saying we need to learn from and correct the mistakes we will inevitably make along our paths. But in our culture, we emphasize identifying our weaknesses and then working to turn them into strengths which offers lots of opportunities for us to feel our own inadequacy. If instead we look for ways to leverage our strengths and do more of what we do well, we are more likely to feel successful, to feel the sense of accomplishment which contributes to flourishing. None of these steps is rocket science. They're all pretty simple and they may still be challenging. In his book, Wherever You Go, There You Are, psychiatrist John Kabat-Zinn, who has helped infuse therapeutic practice with concepts of mindfulness, distinguishes between simple and easy. If we're used to focusing on what's going wrong, what's missing, what we don't do well, takes a lot of practice and intentionality to notice what's good, what's present, and what we do right. But like with any newly learned behavior, the more we practice, the more ingrained the behavior becomes, until it becomes what we do most naturally. In addition, none of these things will change the realities of what is happening around us. The COVID pandemic is not yet over. There are a host of other social injustice pandemics with which we are still wrestling. Developing our PERMA skills won't make those go away. But perhaps, just perhaps, making space to notice the positive, experience flow, nurture our connections will help us to flourish as we move from languishing to flourishing, we experience not only individual feelings of well being. When we thrive, we have more to give back to the world. The engagement we experience opens us up to be more fully engaged. And as we continue to ride this roller coaster of life and live into our calling to help transform our world, My hope is that we can do so from a place of thriving and of flourishing. May it be so.